Well, welcome this morning to Willow Park Church. I'm happy that you have joined us. In fact, I'm delighted for all that God is doing and the way that God is working. I hope you've arrived here expectant, expectant to hear God's voice, expectant to know him speaking to you. And as you are here uh, from what's taking place, we continue to reach out and to minister to people. The drive-ins have been so wonderful. People turning up, waving at people, connecting with them. I've loved it. And also, I've loved uh, the pursuit drive-in. Wonderful. You know, those young adults, they turn up and they bring their dinner with them. One car I went and chatted to had their Wendy's food there, another McDonald's, another a Chinese. And of course, there were the healthy guys with eating bananas. You know who you are. It just shows that even though we are in a pandemic, we can create community and connection in wonderful, creative ways. Why? Because we're passionate about our church. We're passionate about what God is doing. This is the time for the church to do great things. And we're starting to hear stories of lives that are being changed. I was talking to one pastor in the heart of Vancouver that through the pandemic, he has seen 1,200 people respond to the gospel in Vancouver. On their online services, responding to the call to become Christians. Responding to the call of getting right with God. And I think of all the things we've done and the way that the Lord's been at work, uh, changing, challenging lives. I'm optimistic that out of this pandemic, uh, God will do great things. And I want you to believe that. I want to encourage you with that, that God will do great things. And certainly on Monday evening, when we gather for Willow One Prayer, the final prayer event on this stage, we'll be celebrating, we will be worshipping, and we will be praying that this is a time for God to do great things. That's what I really feel in my heart. I really feel it. Uh, when I pray about the pandemic and I'm praying about the future of the church, there is definitely a lot of negativity. Definitely people are feeling uh, blue and feeling down. A friend of mine uh, leads an organization in, in Britain and part of their job is to connect with churches and pastors. And he just said, you know, so many of them are feeling despondent. So many of them are feeling down, are feeling low. But then there's those that are experiencing absolute work of God in their church. And I believe that because we've taken the position of mission and not maintenance, because we've taken the position to keep pushing out and to keep reaching out, God is, God's going to bless those prayers. And what a three weeks of prayer we've experienced. So I'm, I'm excited about our worship now. As Luke comes and leads us, I'm blessed by the commitment of our musicians and their willingness to lead us into the presence of God. So get comfortable and uh, take time to prepare your elements where you can Get ready and be able to focus on the bread and the wine as you allow and create a holy space between you and God. Pastor Jordan is preaching at 33. Glenn is preaching at South. And so we are looking forward to a great weekend at Willow Park Church. Father, we welcome you now and pray that you will bless our time together. Come and fill our living rooms, our rooms where we're gathering with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we are, I pray that your word will touch hearts and our worship will honour you. Come, Lord Jesus, and be present and be at work amongst us. Amen. Amen. Hello, Willow Park Church. We're so happy that you guys joined us. Would you, as we sing and as we rejoice with our God, would you sing with us and would you express your joy and your thanks to the Lord with us as we're doing it? And, and I just want to pray to start us off and get our hearts right. And as we sing this first song, Fall Afresh, 
Um, God, our prayer is that your spirit would fall afresh on us. Our prayer is that we would, our souls would awaken to sing out your praise, Father. Because we've seen what you've done in our lives every day and we see what you've done on the cross for us, how our sins are forgiven and we have, <laughs> we have every reason to rejoice, Father. And I know that not everybody listening is going to be feeling that. They're going to be feeling that they have been in some hard times of feeling illness and and we don't want to ignore that, God. I just pray that you give us all the strength to even in the middle of our of our um, our tough times that we would still be able to worship you. Even when we don't feel you close, that we'd still be able to worship you and see that you are good and that you make all things work together and that you're with us even when we can't feel you. Even when we don't see what you're doing, you're with us. So would you awaken our souls? Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen.
That's our prayer. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill this place? Would we experience you now? Would we express our joy to you now? Would you awaken our soul to see what you are doing and what you have done, Jesus? Holy Spirit, come.
sing this next song, Make Room. I pray, Jesus, that our hearts would make room for you. God, that we would actually give you time and space to move. God, the Psalms say that the helpless commit themselves to you. And Father, we want to come and say that we're helpless. We can't do anything as by ourselves. We need you. We need to make room for you. Because there is life, pleasure forevermore, Everlasting joy in your presence, God. So as you make room, would we make room in our hearts for you right now, Jesus? Would we worship you? Oh, 
center, that you'd be the most important thing we have, that you would be something that we cannot live without. I pray, Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see you, to know you, know what you've done for us on the cross. Would you open our eyes as we listen to the sermons? Father, would your spirit move through them? Would you teach us, convict us, and make us more like you, Jesus? We love you. Bless the speakers. Bless the rest of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thanks for joining us. A perfect song. Those lyrics make room. I think we've all got to choose to do that. And as we step into communion, we make room to remember. We make room to celebrate. We make room to examine our own lives. And we make room for the Holy Spirit to come and Guide us and lead us. Father, I thank you for the bread. I am so blessed. So blessed. By what you achieved on the cross. For me. For all of us. That you broke the power of sin. You freed humanity. You brought forgiveness and redemption. That our lips can speak blessings. We can come close to you. We can know your presence because your body was broken for us. So Father, bless this bread in the name of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And we thank you as we remember the sacrifice of Christ. As you hung upon the cross, your blood was shed for us. Every drop represented the forgiveness. Every drop represented the cleansing power. Every drop represented the love of God. You took all of our iniquities. You took all of our condemnation. You took all of our guilt and bore our shame on that cross. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. Often... I do reflect and spend time just walking my mind through the different aspects of the cross, different moments. And I'm always reminded that he went on that journey with me in mind. It's overwhelming at times. It is, it can't help but... Acknowledge your love and your grace for Jesus, your, the
the grace of God that was shown for us. <laughs> well, are we going to hand over now uh, for the Willow One News? And you can hear all about the exciting things that go on at Willow Park Church. Enjoy. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us at Church Online. Here is your family news. Have you tried one of our drive-in church services yet? We have two service times available at 10.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. for Pursuit every Sunday in the parking lot at Willow Park Church on Highway 33. There is no pre-registration required, but please arrive early as we are limited to 50 vehicles at a time. Plus, under the current restrictions, we are able to offer in-person Kids Church during the drive-in service. Kids Church will only be available at the 10.30 a.m. service. We hope to see you there. Families with kids, we invite you to join the Willow Park Kids Team for a night of online interactive games for the whole family. To attend, simply click on the Zoom link on our website and get ready to have some fun. Visit willowparkchurch.com games to join. Join us tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for our Willow One prayer service. This is a great opportunity to gather as an entire church family to seek God together and celebrate all that he has done during our 21 days of prayer. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash willowoneprayer. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Oh, good morning, Willow Park Church. Thank you so much for being here today. It's, uh, it's Jen, Malachi, and myself here in the sanctuary today just to, just to bring this message to you. We're so, so grateful. My name's Jordan. I am, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Willow Park Church, and I just am, am honored to be able to be here and, and bring you this message. We've been walking through the book of Daniel, as you can see, and, and uh, as we go through the book of Daniel, we've been discovering amazing, amazing things about, about how we live in our society, but also live for God's good society. You know, I want to just thank you all for the amazing ability that we have to kind of follow the rules, even if we don't love following the rules of, of COVID and, and how it's all going. It's, you know, I was, I was driving down the road the other day and I saw two people. And, uh, and one was wearing a mask and one wasn't wearing a mask. Now they're outside. I don't think it had much to do with anything. But I, I looked at it and I saw a funny picture in my head. I said, the one person that's wearing a mask, as we know, masks are mostly to protect other people. And so the one person that was wearing a mask was protecting the other person. The other person that wasn't wearing a mask was actually not returning the favor. And so it's kind of interesting to me, and I know that they were just friends walking around, and one person probably forgot to take off their mask like I do, or I like to have a warm face in the car sometimes, so I wear my mask in the car. But the idea that we are wearing masks, and that one person was wearing a mask to love the other person, the other person was not wearing a mask and not protecting that person, spoke a bit of, spoke something to me. That as we Christians are living and inhabiting this world here, we are loving this world here. Even though we may not agree with everything that's going on, even though we may not agree with all the edicts being passed down, we are loving those around us by being in this world and loving this world. So thank you so much for doing that. I want to encourage you to keep on doing that. Even though our churches are closed, we can still worship and it's a beautiful thing. So today we're going to be talking about Daniel chapter 3, and that's the story of Nebuchadnezzar and, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire furnace, but we're going to actually start off somewhere else to give us a bit of context. And we're going to start off on 1 Peter 5.13, and it says this. It says, she who is in Babylon greets you. Why does Peter, what does Peter mean by the agmatic phrase, she who is in Babylon greets you? Why does Peter end his letter by referring to some mysterious woman living in the once great but now insignificant city of Babylon? The answer lies in the history of Babylon. The answer lies in, in what Babylon represents, and it is the great powers of this world. It's the great powers of this world and, and the, the great systems that have been set up. Empires are rich and powerful nations in, in, in their arrogant assumption of divine right to rule 
the nation and their conceded claim of possession in manifest destiny to shape history and intrude upon the sovereignty of God. You see, empires like Babylon, empires like Rome, empires like the Great West in our present, present context are setting themselves up to be powerful nations and have manifest destiny to shape history and to intrude upon the sovereignty of God. So Peter is talking to, to she who is in Babylon, and Babylon is the great city. Who is the she that he's referring to? She in Babylon is the bride of Christ, the church, the community that those through faith and baptism had renounced their idolatrous beliefs, that Rome is the savior, that megacities, that these powerful places are the savior of the world, and that Caesar is Lord, now boldly confess that Jesus, who is the world's true Lord and savior, See, he's speaking to the church in Rome and saying, look, I know that you are here, but remember who your citizenship belongs to. Remember who you belong to. Remember whose you are. You are in this world. You're not of this world. You're taking up residence here. At the end of Peter's letter, the church, is, the church located in the capital city sends greetings to the other outposts of the kingdom of Christ scattered throughout the eastern provinces. Peter is writing postcards from Babylon. And the main point of the postcard epistle is to remind Christian citizens of Rome that they are no longer truly citizens of the empire, but citizens of the kingdom of Christ, and thus exiles within that empire. To live as political citizens of Rome and actual citizens of the kingdom of heaven is tricky business. But I believe that this is the main point that we read in Daniel chapter 3. How to live in this world, but not be of this world. How to walk that fine line between loving and being a part of this world, but also serving a different kingdom. Daniel chapter 3 is, uh, is an amazing chapter, and I was, quite, I was quite excited when Phil said, you're going to be preaching on Daniel chapter 3. First it was going to be Daniel chapter 4, and i got to admit, uh, there's a few books in the Bible that give me a bit of pause, give me a bit of a, you know, don't know necessarily want to speak on it. Job, the book of Job is kind of confusing at times, and there's lots to learn, which is fantastic. The book of Revelation and the book of Daniel. There's so much in it. There's so much to, to unpack that is, is more than meets the eye, it feels like. So as we get into this, we, we learn that there's a few different things that happen throughout this book. And as Phil's been preaching, and Glenn at the South, and, and Jeremy at the South have been preaching about this, we, we learn that there's three things that happen. There's a problem, and the problem is going to be Nebuchadnezzar, King Neb, and, and then there's a faithful response, the faithful response by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then there's redemption by God. So that's kind of what we're laying out today. But today I want to talk a little bit about this. Have you ever heard of a little band called the Rolling Stones? I know we all have heard of the Rolling Stones. One of Mick Jagger's and Keith Richards' greatest work was a 1972 album, Exile on Main Street. I listened, I gotta admit, I listened to a little bit while I was preparing the sermon just to, just to you know, experience the whole thing. But the album was recorded while the band was living as tax exiles in the south of France. And Keith Richards gave the, the record its title in homage to their exile status. Exiles is also an apt turn of phrase given to Christians in a somewhat, with a somewhat ambiguous relationship with their nationality. Christians are on Main Street as citizens in the nation of, in the nation of their citizenship. But they are never fully at home. We are on Main Street, but we are also exiles on Main Street. This is where I get this idea from for this sermon about us being exiles on Main Street. We live on Main Street. We work on Main Street. We do everything we do in Kelowna. We do everything we do maybe in Vancouver, if you're there right now, somewhere around Canada. Perhaps, perhaps you're listening in the UK this morning or this, this afternoon, I suppose. And you're exiles where you are. You live where you are, but that is not everything about you. So wherever you are, that is what we're talking about. I've got a few quotes to, to look at this morning about this. Now this is, um, this is a quote given to us in the second century epistle of Diognetus, which is, which is essentially an apologist's um, um, re, uh, recording, a, a book about faith. Um, to people that are believers, and this is uh, written to uh, non-believers to tell them about their faith, and just explaining to them by an anonymous um, author 
about what it's like to be an exile on Main Street or an alien living in their land. And it says this, Christians are no different from other people. First of all, we need to understand, Christians are no different from other people. It's very important for us to realize that, that we walk, we move, we live, we breathe, we wear clothes just like every other person. In terms of their country, language, or customs, nowhere do they inhabit cities on their own, use a strange dialect, or live out of the ordinary. We're not, diff- we're not that different. They inhabit both Greek and barbarian cities according to the lot assigned to each. So wherever you are, that lot assigned to you, wherever you're living, that is the lot assigned to you. If you're here, if you've moved somewhere, that is where you are. And they show forth the character of their own citizenship in a marvelous and admitted, admittedly paradoxical way by following the local customs in what they wear and what they eat and in the rest for their lives and, and in the rest of their lives. They live in their respective countries, but only as resident aliens. They participate in all things as citizens, and they endure all things as foreigners. My wife and I, we moved to uh, England in 2008. We had two kids there, and, uh, and it was a lovely time. We were there for four years. And as we arrived there, we realized that we were just taking up residency, but obviously our citizenship was somewhere else. Obviously, we were actually from somewhere else, but we were living there. And, and as we kind of moved there, as we kind of lived there, we started to understand the new nuances of our, of our new place. If you've ever been to England, it's, it's weird because everything looks the same kind of, but it's not. The plumbing is on the outside of the houses as opposed to inside because Canada, it gets so cold. You know, the, the, each of the plug-ins has a, has a switch on it to turn on the plug-in as opposed to as opposed to just our normal sockets, which is not a big deal. The one thing I was talking uh, to my wife this morning, the showers are so weird there. They're electric showers. I don't understand why you would want to put electric and shower together. It doesn't make sense to me. But they have these electric showers, and it's just so different. And at first, it was very obvious that I was a foreigner in a new land, and my citizenship was Canadian. But as I lived there a little bit longer, as we stayed there a little bit longer, it started to become more and more like our home, which is a good thing. And we loved our time in England. It was the best. And actually, and actually there's a couple things that, that sparked us back to reality that we weren't full-on citizens of England. The first one is there's a, some youths, some of those British youths that you've heard of. And we were walking on the street, my wife and I, and we were recognized. And they called from across the street. And they're like, oi. And I'm like, uh-oh. And they, oi, are you that guy? I can't do an English accent. That's one thing I didn't take from there. Are you? I'm like, yeah, 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 that's me. Oh, and then they started singing this lovely song from all of our favorite sitcom. A sitcom, television show, South Park. Blame Canada, blame Canada. They just started singing this blame Canada throughout the... I realized, I remember that at that point, I am not from here. This is not who I am. This is not where I'm from. And the second time is at the very end of our stay, we got a letter in the mail saying, you need to get on the next flight out of this country because your visa is up. You are no longer welcome. As much as we wanted to make England our resident and our home and our citizenship, it was not reciprocated. And we need to remember that we were exiles living there. We were not always there. We were not always citizens. We were citizens of Canada. Then we got back home to Canada, and we had this reverse kind of uh, culture shock. And that was interesting as well. But what the point is, is that, is that things change when you're there. And you start to want to be living there, but then you have to be removed from there. And now, in response to this, Alan Crider says this. The nameless writer of this letter, in response to the last letter that we wrote, wrote, read, sorry, the nameless writer of this letter identifies the Christians with their neighbors. Christians are ordinary. They live in the same insula, wear the same kind of clothing, speak with the same idioms and accents and as other people, and eat the local foods. But Christians are also extraordinary. You are extraordinary. They know the tension between their two citizenships that express itself in a comment to the local culture that is clear but conditional. As a result, the Christians are a hybrid people. They're eperokoi, resident aliens, living locally and participating in society, but not as full citizens. See, we live locally. 
We live in this society. We participate. We do everything that is asked of us. But we are also in a different way. We also live a little bit differently. We also have this understanding that something else is out there. I was talking to my kids about this the other day, this idea of of being an exile on Main Street. I said, it's like when you go to school and you walk into school and you do everything the teacher asks of you. You do your math homework, you do your English homework, you support the principal, you, you, you obey the rules, you do everything that's asked of you in that society. But you also know when you walk in there that your heart is somewhere else, that your heart is serving a different kingdom. And the kingdom that we serve is God's kingdom. That's why we are not just on Main Street, we are exiles on Main Street. See, for us, this is, this is not that hard of a, a decision. That, this might be bringing our Bible to, to work and, and praying a little bit and, and having a bit of a, a, maybe someone ask a question. That is praying or that is, is going to church or, or watching church online. There's not much that we do, but for other people, being an exile on Main Street is a much bigger sacrifice. This is... The Scalician martyrs were a company of 12 North African Christians who were executed for their beliefs on the 17th of July, 180 AD. There was 12 people that were asked to give their allegiance to their government or face death. Marcus Aurelius was the last Roman Empire who, and this is the last ever persecution through that government to kill Christians. And this is what Rowan Williams said about these people. These Christians, most of them probably domestic slaves, had to explain to the magistrate that they were quite happy to pray for the imperial state and even pay taxes. Let's stop there for a second. Our job as Christians is to pray for our government. Our job as Christians is to pay taxes. Our job as Christians is to be here and fully accept that we are here and do things that everyone else does. But, they, but that they could not grant the state their absolute allegiance. They had another loyalty, which did not mean that they wished to overthrow the administration There was nothing aggressive about what they were doing. They were peaceful. They were just saying, we're not going to overthrow the administration, but that they would not comply with the state's demands in certain respects. They would not worship the emperor as we know from some other texts or refuse to serve in the Roman army. There was a higher call that they had. That higher call was peace. That higher call was love. That higher call was Jesus. And so what happens is, is, is we are asked, we are, we are not asked in this, in this North American world to worship Prime Minister Trudeau, no. We might disagree with some of his policies, but we pray for him, we pay taxes. But what these people had to do is they had to say, I'm not going to worship you as emperor. I am not going to serve in your Roman army because God asked me not to. And they, that cost them their lives. That is what exile on Main Street ultimately is. We obey the laws, but we love our king. We cast our vote but we bow to Jesus. Now going all the way back, prior to the first century Christians, prior to Rome, all the way back to 597 BC, when the first Jewish captives were exiled to Babylon, many of the newly arrived exiles began to believe that this current state of exile was only going to be a few months. Does that ring true for anybody here? The current state of their exile was only going to be a few months. Does that remind you of back in March a year ago? This pandemic was only going to be a few weeks. We'll just be in isolation for two weeks and we'll be out and we'll be all good. Everything will be fine. Now, what they happened is, is that Jeremiah had to remind them in Jeremiah 29, verse 1. These are the words of the, of the letter of the prophets sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear the sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek welfare from the city I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
For in its welfare, you will find welfare. Jeremiah is saying, you are now exiled here. You are going to be here. Don't just think this is temporary. This is generational. We are in this world, and we don't know anything else in this world, but our citizenship is in heaven. So we need to take up our relationships. We need to take up our lives. We need to live life here, but don't forget where our citizenship is. What happened is the, the Jewish people sent to Babylon started to forget. Of course you're going to start to forget. If you're a second generation, third generation um, Hebrew living in, in Babylon, you're going to forget. You're not even going to know what happened before. But God says, don't forget where you come from. Continue to be an exile on Main Street. It's just like this pandemic has lasted longer. Over the summer, I had conversations with people that were starting to not even think about church anymore. If you're in that spot, don't forget where our faith comes from. Don't forget where we are at. Don't forget what was before and what still is. We're just on the other side of a screen now. Don't forget how much God loves you. Don't become just a resident of Main Street. Remember to be an exile on Main Street. The book of Daniel was designed to show Jews how to walk the thin line between human empire and the kingdom of heaven. So, now we finally get to Main Street. King Nebuchadnezzar, he is the problem. He is the villain in this story, for sure. And so if you want to open up your Bible to Daniel 3, I'm going to kind of skim through this story, and we're going to look at different things about, about what was happening, and I'm going to kind of skim through it so you might not be able to follow, but you can read this um, in, your, in your prayer time this week or just in your, in, your, in your Bible reading time. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King, King Nebuchadnezzar set up this massive, massive statue of himself. And he says to them, as soon as you hear the horn, as soon as you hear that call to worship, I want you to bow down and worship that statue that I have made of me. Fall down and worship the image. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. So when the, when the trumpets played, when all the harps played, all that stuff started happening, everyone bowed down. Now keep in mind, there is a whole nation of Israel that is there. And there was only three people that remained exiles on Main Street. There's only three people that didn't bow down. Think about that. All the other people, unfortunately, gave in to that new way of life and they bowed down. That means it's pretty big temptation. It's pretty, it's pretty normal to be swayed by Main Street. We need to find a way to stick away from that. So then, then, his, then King Nebuchadnezzar's worker came to him and said, Your Majesty, you have a decree, but there's three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who will not bow down. And then he was furious with rage. He was so furious that he was going to throw them into the fire, but he thought, I'm going to give him a second chance. All right, let's take two. Maybe he didn't hear it this time, but then he said, I'm going to give you a second chance. Then they played the horns again, and they still didn't worship him. So this is the problem. Nebuchadnezzar wants to be God. Nebuchadnezzar wants to be who our God is. And he wants to take people's identity. He wants to take and show them his wealth. And he wants to show them and have them worship him and come to him for safety. He wants to be God. See, at the beginning of this book, we saw, we saw um, the idea of their identities were being stolen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel had these names before these names. That's actually Belshazzar. So Daniel's name means God is my judge. Hananiah, name, means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, who is like God. And Azariah, Yahweh has helped. And then Nebuchadnezzar changed their names. Daniel to Belshazzar, Bel's prince. Shadrach, uh, Hananiah to Shadrach, friend of the king. Mishael, to Meshach, guest of the king, and Azariah, to Abednego, servant of the king. Main Street wants to take our identity. 
This kingdom that we live in, this world that we live in, wants your identity. But we need to fight back against that and give our identity to the king. The second thing he wants to do was show them money, show them wealth. He has all the wealth. He has a gold statue. There's some people that say it was made, may have been a gold-plated statue, so it's like this fake, you know, it's still worth a lot, but it's not solid gold. It's like when you, at Easter time, when you get an Easter bunny, and is it the solid one, solid chocolate, or is it the hollow chocolate? Oh, parents, you cheaped out and got the, got the hollow one. But he wants to show people wealth. He wants, to, he wants to show, look, if you put your faith in me, if you put your allegiance in me, you're going to be rich. And he says, I want your worship. I want your honor. I want you to bow down. I want your love. And he says, if you do that, I won't kill you. How nice is that, hey? It's not like he's responding in love like Christ would. He's saying, if you do this, I won't kill you. That's kind of a nice deal. And no, no wonder so many people decide to bow down. There's so much that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do, is trying to say that he is Lord, he is king. That's what Main Street wants to do. That's what our life wants to do. That's what this world wants to do, is wants to ease us into this understanding that we are safe if we do these things. We are safe if we are our own kings. We're safe if we found our identity in ourselves. We're safe if we make enough money. That's what this world wants. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even with their new names, decided that they wanted to do something different. And they said this. They have their faithful response. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. First of all, they are being very respectful. They are living in, this, in their world, in that main street, as citizens. And also, they are full-on participants in that place because they have high-ranking high positions in Babylon. But they haven't forgotten who they come from. So it says, before you in this matter, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold that you have set up. This is what they're saying. They're saying our identity is in God, not in the names that you give us labels. This world will give you labels. This world will try to take your identity and say, you are this, you are that, you are something that you are not. And God says, no, no, your identity is in me. I went to the cross. My son, Jesus, died for you to give you a brand new, beautiful identity. I'm going to take your old identity. You see how many times that happens in the Bible? And I'm going to give you a new identity. Abram to Abraham. All these beautiful name transformations. A new identity in Christ. Don't allow this main street to identify you. Live here, but don't be identified in it. Your money, your gold statue, the priceless objects on display for the world to see, the status that is given to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't want it. The wealth, that's not what they need. The worship, they want it. King Neb wants their worship, and they say, no, we're going to worship our king, our God. We're going to love him forever. And the safety the safety that he offers them. But that most important verse is so, so beautiful. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, still having that respect, but saying, you know what? Our God is bigger. Our God is better. Our God is greater. But even if he does not... Even if you walk through this world and you go through the pain, they will still worship their king. Even if you are walking through the most difficult time, remember you are still in exile on Main Street and God walks with you and he talks with you and he works with you. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Even if our God, even if you get, we get thrown to that furnace and we die, we will still serve our God and not you. How powerful is that? The next thing we see, we don't need that verse right now, is the fourth man, the redemption story. 
the redemption of this story. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, wasn't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? Look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God's. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor a hair on their heads was singed, nor the robes scorched, and they were, there was no smell of fire on them. God walked with them through the fire. God walks with us through the fire. God walks with us on Main Street. Matthew 28, 20, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with us. His faithful promise is that he will walk with you. He will walk with you through the fire. He will walk with you through the pain. He will walk with you through everything. Wherever you are at, either you are in the fire or you are just cruising on life on Main Street. He's going to walk with you through it. Sometimes the the, uh, the greatest ploy of the enemy is to allow us to think that everything is going to be okay, that everything is fine, you're safe. That's North America, man. A lot of us are just safe. Obviously, there's so much pain that people in, even watching right now are going through, but sometimes life just turns up roses. And when it turns up roses and things are going well, sometimes we forget that we need God altogether. We can't forget that. It also says in Matthew 6, 25, 26, do not worry. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more important than food and the body, more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? Don't worry about life. God walks with you. He is with you. As you're on that, in this world, but not of this world. That ship on the water, but not allowing the water to come in because your kingdom is Jesus. So now we want to look at the response that we have. You know when, when, when Jesus was, was praying and then the army came to him and said, I'm going to take you away, we're going to take you and we're going to take you to, the, to Pilate to be judged. What did Peter do? He drew his sword and he cut off his ear. And Jesus stopped and he said, this is not how we do things, Peter. This is not how we do things. We do not live the life that they want us to live, that life of violence. We are a life of peace. That life of hate, we are a life of love. So Jesus picked up that ear, placed it back on his head, and said, we are going to just lay our lives at the feet of God, not the feet of man. We're going to lay our, feet, our lives at the feet of God, and we're going to allow him to take us. We're going to allow him to give us his peace. We're going to allow him to give us his love. Peter, we do not respond with violence to violence. We do not respond with hate to hate. We respond in love. We respond in care. We respond in his glory, his goodness. So we have two things, actions and reactions. Our reactions need to be those of love, those of care, those of peace, those of patience, those of care and kindness. But our actions also need to be that. In your business, are you a Main Street businessman or are you a, are you a God's kingdom businessman or woman? In your relationship, do you bring the attributes of Christ or do you bring the attributes of this world into your relationships? In school, where you go, do you bring the attributes of the, of the schoolyard? Or do you bring the attributes of Christ and his kingdom and his love and his mercy? In everything, bring God's kingdom, not Neb's kingdom. Not Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. It says in there, he says, there was not even the smell of smoke or fire on them. The smell of God's kingdom is the streets, is the smell. The smell of God's kingdom in the streets is not the smell of the streets on us. We need to bring the smell of God's kingdom into this world. We don't want the stench of this main street on us. We want to bring God's kingdom. And you know what I thought about? The, the fire didn't even know what hit it. The fire didn't know what hit it. The fire was there, but it didn't know what hit it. Because it was God's love was in that fire. 
So as you go into your life this week, know you walk with the Spirit. Know you walk in a greater kingdom. We are on Main Street, but we are exiles on Main Street. I think so beautifully sums up this whole passage of Psalm 23. And I want you to pray through it this week. And I've been praying through it with my kids. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil and you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a tale before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We are where we belong on Main Street, but you're also where you belong in God's kingdom, living for his life, living for his glory. Take that encouragement this week. Understand that it's okay to feel a little bit different when you're on Main Street, knowing that you serve a different kingdom. Sorry if I went a bit long today. Thank you so much for hanging with me. God bless you. Have a great week.